primarily a lot of the leads that have come through are like outbound. We've seen the ones that end up converting or for you to convert a higher percentage, they need more touch points. And those touch points are not always in the form of calls. It could be like they might see an ad, maybe you're retargeting them. They might see your content on LinkedIn. So kind of like a mix between outbound and inbound. Outbound, it's much harder to convert. It takes longer. So when you're getting those people inside the funnel, percentage will convert now, but the ones that you want to nurture longer, it's good to keep them on through, engage them for different types of content. It's, you need to have more inbound, just outbound won't do it. And we will know if it was like outbound. But then once they go into the website, that's where the inbound team can do their magic too, along with the outbound team, because that person will get retargeting messages retargeting ads and it takes time, but it does help you build uh, awareness too, if it works well with inbound and especially with teams, it, it can be a good lead machine. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm really excited to have two guests with me, Kian Tran and Alexander Ivanov, who are the two co-founders of Hypergen. Hypergen is an outbound lead gen company that helps businesses close more deals through intent-based cold emails. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Paris. Yep, excited to be here. And so what you all started, uh, what year did you all start Hypergen? Before Hypergen, we were doing all-around marketing, digital marketing, using our skills. So in, during 2020, in the summer, we started. Because back then, it was called Hypernova Marketing. But after a year of doing different client work, we saw that cold email is a good niche to be in. And we saw the opportunity because of remote work and demand for cold email. And that's where we pretty much like put our focus there during mm -hmm. the summer of 2021. So during the last two and two years and a couple months, we've been purely focused on cold email or scaling. Yeah. And has that been one of the factors to your rapid growth? The fact that you focused and niched down on cold email? Yeah, I would say so because of, you know, a lot of factors, like especially when you're starting out initially, you know, there's so many agencies, you know, it, it's super hard to compete. So one, it's very hard to stand out when you have multiple services. Two, it's super hard to like streamline that service internally and make it good enough so that you can scale. I can tell you that even with one service right now, it's still very hard because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like a people's business. So a lot of things can go wrong. So you just need to perfect it. So I would say like that decision definitely had a big impact on why we're yeah able to grow. Yeah, I can say from my perspective, we offer multiple services and it gets very difficult because you have different different workflows and 
there are a lot of other possible points of failure or complication. But these are the trade-offs, I guess. If When, when you think about agency niching, there's multiple dimensions of niching. You can niche into an industry or you can niche down into a service, if, as you all have done. You can niche into a geography, perhaps. You know, Maybe you can just be low for your city or your state. I think you can even niche around a, a set of technology, like a tech stack. You could niche down and be a HubSpot agency, for example. And I think there's examples of all that. I think all those are, are good working models. We've chosen to niche more along industry and SaaS, and there, there's reasons for that, but there's, there's also trade-offs, and, and you all have gone down the, the cold email niche. So I think you all probably have the ability to serve a wider client type yeah, because you're going for a service focus. Yeah. We saw your niche too. Ferris, we've been following you up since we started and we saw how you were specifically in SaaS. And we also were, I mean, you kind of inspired us to be like, okay, let's also find more SaaS. I mean, we also saw that our SaaS clients were good for us. So yeah, it's also, we see that it's pretty encouraging to see even other companies, especially in our local, in Bulgaria, to get into that or to be in a, a similar industry. And it's, yeah, it's encouraging. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And I mean, congratulations on your success so far. And I want to talk about outbound because most of the time on this podcast, we, we talk about inbound and well, I think that you're really the first guest where we, we're going to deep dive into outbound. So. Outbound sometimes gets a, a bad rap. I think there's a stigma to outbound. And when you, when you say cold email, I think that probably a lot of our listeners are, are there was a shiver or something that, that just quaked through them. Like, oh, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of uh, icky stuff, you know? So that's spam. But yet, when you look at the statistics, this shit works. I mean, most of the time when I talk to prospects and they're looking for inbound solutions, They've already got an outbound solution that's working and they're looking to get the, in, the complementary inbound piece in place, but outbound is working. And I think that this is kind of like the, I don't know, the redheaded stepchild of marketing because you don't see people out there bragging about their outbound marketing, phenomenal outbound marketing results. When people are bragging about their marketing, digital marketing results, it's all inbound. Look, what, look at my organic traffic from my content marketing. Look at these results I got from PPC or from social. We're crushing it. But I never see anybody saying, yeah, man, we did. This is our sales growth from outbound last month. We doubled our, our sales. They'll say it privately, of course, but they're not publicly proclaiming it. And I think it's just because there is still this general negative stigma around outbound. What's going on with that? What, what do most people not understand about outbound marketing? Yeah, I mean, I would say that when a lot of people think about outbound like they have some kind of like like you said like emotional response to it and i think that's normally wrong like before you cut off something like you should try it out and try it out in a good way because they're used to seeing like all these hundreds of emails they're getting in their spam inbox it's like the same template message like some mm -hmm. random people over the world and it's not like personalized in any way it's not targeted anyway they're probably like they're not probably even mentioning your first name they're spelling out like weird weirdly your company name and so on so it's like all those issues that are making them think badly about it so i think that's what triggers like that mm -hmm. initial like bad reaction and when i look at my own inbox i'd like to hear your feedback too i mean i can i can see that outbound cold outreach has grown phenomenally even in the last two or three years just based on the volume of of outbound cold emails that are coming into my own inbox 
90% of those, of those emails are still not starting with Hi Paris, which is so easy. So even I still open most of the ones that are opening with Hi Paris only because that middle bit of personalization that requires almost no real effort or skill, it still puts them in the top 10 percentile of those marketers. So why, why does so much of the industry still take such a lazy approach to this? Is it really purely about volume? Yeah, I like from what we see is that a lot of times it's very easily accessible to like set it up. Like, you know, a lot of companies might do like an SNTP, like do like a mass email sending. So it's not like ads where for you to reach like hundreds of thousand people, you need to spend like hundreds of thousand dollars. Like you really can do like a technical setup with a couple of hundred dollars and you can reach quite a big audience. Um, and they might see like, 0.1% converting or whatever. So they're just like, okay, let's just do it. So it's like, I feel like because it's so easily accessible and so like you can do it wrong so easily. That's why mm -hmm. like a lot of people are like, oh, let me just press this one button and kind of like see what happens. Pray and pray, as they say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, you've got this spectrum of, you got spray and pray on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you might have like a hyper ABM where I would research somebody's profile and company for one full day and, and then write them a series of extremely detailed, focused, hyper-personalized emails. And neither one of those is really a winning strategy in my opinion. How do you determine where is the right place to land on that, on that spectrum between volume and personalization? Yeah, so we kind of see it as in like buckets of depending on the size of prospects you want to go after. Well, depending on like your total addressable market, right? But we try to aim for like, let's say buckets of like a thousand, maybe up to 5,000, maybe up to like even 10,000 audiences, ideally, because at that point you can start kind of like to segment, let's say like good segments you can start thinking about is like maybe people that are new hires. So that recent people that recently switched jobs, like they tend to like spend a big chunk of their budget within the first three couple of months when they're in position. Maybe people that are hiring for certain positions, right? Let's say, just say like in your mm -hmm. case, you're running a PPC agency. Maybe we look for people that are hiring like PPC marketeers. So at least you know there's some kind of need there. Mm -hmm. And you can start thinking about other things. Like if they're using like a certain technology, I think that's also really great. Let's say you're a SaaS tool and you integrate with something like HubSpot or Intercom. Now that's like a goldmine because they already have a huge audience. And what your tool does is that it makes the intercom or the hotspot more effective. And now that you have the information, even though it's a batch of 10, 20,000 prospects, you can now personalize your message a lot more because you can play off your product or your service based on like the tech that they're using. What have you all seen most effective when it comes to that type of filtering? Is it the, well, the, the, you mentioned three things there, and I'm, I'd be interested to see which of those three things tends to work most. The first thing that you mentioned was that somebody's new to their job. If somebody's new to their job, they might have a new team. They're eager to prove themselves. They're looking for partners and vendors. They might want to shake things up. They might want to shake up the status quo at their, at their new job. So they're, you would think they're a little bit more open to, to meeting somebody new and seeing, seeing something fresh and bringing something fresh into their new organization. Second audience is somebody that's hiring. So that's, that's pretty clear. Hiring, I'm hiring for a PPC specialist. I have a need. 
I might also consider an agency. And in, in, in the world of remote work, you know, what does it really matter, actually? Somebody's on my payroll or somebody's a, a vendor. I'm paying an invoice or I'm paying, uh, paying them through payroll. And they're working somewhere else anyway. Kind of the same. And then the third would be that tech stack. We, we're going to leverage the, the brand credibility of a HubSpot or Intercom. We're going to try to catch people by thinking, oh, okay, this is going to help me get more out of HubSpot. Let me take a look. Those are great examples. Which ones of those do you think, maybe you combine all of them, but which ones do you, do you think work best today? We also wanted to add one more example. If maybe it's our secret, but we'll spill it. LinkedIn has events and you can see the attendees there. And using our database, you can find their emails and outreach. And since people are going to these certain events on LinkedIn, it also gives a signal that they might have, you know, they might buy or they might need this. So we try to find pretty much whatever. There it could be a signal that this per, that a company or a person is looking for that solution. So yeah. who knows what's next in terms of what's other intent signals that you might have. But yeah, so far, I mean, Alex can share like what has worked the best more. Yeah. So here's the thing, like what works for, you know, a lot of people might not work for some. In general, these are the things we've seen that work well. So in terms of targeting, we've seen that new hires, they always tend to work well because like when someone comes in in that office, they want to prove themselves, kind of like you said. So they're generally more open to new solutions. They're generally more open to hearing you out. The only caveat there is like making sure they have a buying power or sometimes like the decision might prolong more because they're newer. And then like stuff like LinkedIn events, there's been times where it's like, let's say it's like a competitor event and you just catch people going to the competitor and they're looking for that solution. That's like a gold mine. It's like mm -hmm. you caught someone in the middle of the buying cycle and now they're with you and you have a chance of like winning them over. Because a lot of times the issue with outbound is like you get them on the call, but sometimes they don't even know they need your uh, solution or your problem. So you got to sell them first on the fact that they have a problem and that they mm -hmm. need a solution. But if you can get them in that buying cycle, um, it's great. And then there's also some people where it's technology works really well. Like we have some people that are targeting like HubSpot in particular. I mean, especially if it's like tech that they're so invested, it's like their CRM that dependent on their sales, let's say in particular, people are always you know open to hearing more there to like optimizing it. So I feel like it's just, you need to test out multiple approaches to see what kind of works. And at the end of the day, really, I would say one of the main things, it's also like, how do you package your offer and what are you focusing on in the cold email? Like, are you hitting on a pain point that resonates with that audience, regardless of the targeting? And do you have a good offer? I can tell you there's people we work with that they give out grant money, like basically free money. Or let's say like, you know, they offer a free audit. And mm -hmm. with those types of offers, you're just getting more hits because you're offering value like right from the get-go. We offer a free audit as our, our primary offer. And, and uh, I feel like we're copycatting so many others because a lot of other agencies do that. But it does seem to work. What is it about that? I mean, I guess it's, we, we're always looking for something a little bit more innovative. But is that is that something that works pretty consistently well? an audit, a free audit? Yeah, I would say so because still a lot of companies, you know, the call to action is like, are you open to a quick call? Are you, do you want to take a look at this case study or whatever? A mm -hmm. free audit, it's literally like 
what can I lose? I'll get on a call and worst case, I'll just get some information that might be helpful, might be not, but it's like, I have nothing to lose. Like, I feel like it's how it is mm -hmm. in real life. You know, like when you go up to someone, when you don't try to take, but try to offer them something first, where it's like proving that you can solve their problem. Maybe sending like a meme, like some kind of humor to like make them laugh, like offering some kind of value. Then people are like more likely to respond and want to engage back with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a funny analog. Free samples at Costco or other places. <laughs> you give them a free sample, like you see, okay, these guys think like that. Maybe I should get the full yeah. sample. That, that came up in one of my other recent podcast interviews, that analogy of the supermarket. People are, I would normally not go and try this this sausage or whatever, but I'll never turn down a free sample. And then, then you try it and, oh yeah, that's not too bad. And how much is that? All right, I'll throw it in the basket. And I kind of feel a little obligated anyway because I, I just ate this yeah. thing for free. And then there's a little bit of a kind of a, Pressure now. Nice person is standing there saying, oh, I'm glad you liked it. We also see that since you guys have a good reputation of all SaaS community too, you have your podcast, Paris, people know you. Uh, Hop is specialized in SaaS too. And it also helps a lot free branding, you know, when they check your website and see, okay, these guys are SaaS focused. These guys know what they're doing. So like as a customer, I will be more prone to get an order from you compared to another general digital marketing agency for sure. Yeah. Well, that's a good point too. I mean, to back up, to have the credibility on, on the website and on LinkedIn when people are going to go research who's okay. really behind this. Yeah. And it plays a role in outbound too. Uh, we've seen that some clients that have good credibility beforehand and they know them, people are more likely mm -hmm. or they, they respond more or they even like close more deals with that. Yeah. Let's dig into the nuts and bolts a little bit more. The cold email, usually how, how long are your sequences? How many emails and spread over how long of a period? Yeah. So normally we do like, I would say four, maximum five, six sequences, but normally four and they're spread out between 11 and 14 days. It's like a day one, day three, day seven, maybe like mm -hmm. a day 14. We just seen that, you know, at that cadence, we get the best results and it's better to focus on a newer audience. And if we need to, we can go back to an older audience. And it's also like to the point mm -hmm. where it doesn't anger your audience, message people, let's say three, six months down the line and they actually convert. Because a lot of times, maybe they're busy right now. They don't need a solution. So it's also good to be aware of that. Now I send 100 emails in one month and they're like blocked. And whenever they mm -hmm. see your name somewhere, like they get them, they get pissed off. Yeah, they, you don't want to overdo it. I remember that probably two years ago or so, or longer, I think. It was before COVID. I spoke to someone at Outreach IO and I asked that same question. So what, what's the, the ideal length of a sequence? How many touch points? And the answer can you guess what the answer they gave i'm guessing like four something crazy yeah uh 14 and they said well based on our research across all of our customers we found that 14 touch points is what leads to the optimal positive response rate and i thought that's that's a lot i mean who is going to respond on to that 13th or 14th email if they have ignored you for the first 12 i guess that that's not all cold email i think it's probably also including linkedin linkedin messaging but still it's kind of the same principle and what you're saying is that at some point you basically cut bait so to speak if by day 14 and they've hit they've now seen you four or five times and it's been over two weeks it's time to move on really it's time to give up because then you're sacrificing there's an opportunity cost you could hang in there and you could you could have another five or six tries over the next two or three weeks but then that's, these are email sends that are not going to some other newer audience. And that's the, the trade-off that you're making. Yeah. And because our thought process is also like down the line, maybe some kind of event 
comes up, right? Maybe it's better to find these people on like a LinkedIn event. Maybe they switch a position. Maybe there's some kind of like a change in regulations. Let's say a government regulation change. For example, you're targeting cannabis and maybe now they can start selling online. So it's better to wait. Yeah, or third party cookies are disappearing. So it's better to wait down the line. That trigger to happen. Target them then. Write your message then because you'll be a lot more targeted versus now. I can't think of like 15, you know, emails to write that would be relevant to them. Realistically, it's better like, yeah, to wait for the right moment. Yeah. And what are those, what are the types of personalization do you all incorporate? Do you ever incorporate something that has to do with their company or any kind of recent news or anything noteworthy about their industry, perhaps? Yeah. So it can be a lot of things. Like I said, like it could be a regulation change, which is always big. Recently, what we started playing around with more is like with ChatGPT and AI personalization. You can use mm -hmm. this cool tool, Clay, where um, it takes in the information from the company and it can actually personalize based off of that. So let's say I'm a video marketing agency and I can ask ChatGPT, like, create for me three unique video ideas for this company based on their description. So it could be like mm -hmm. a unique type of personalization like that which still is kind of like iffy, like you need to you know, write in the right prompt and whatnot. With new hires, you can always say, you know, congrats on your position or not you recently switched jobs and you can kind of like link your whole text to that. It could be something like from the title. Let's say you're targeting HR, but there's people that are global HRs. So now you could speak specifically about that. Hey, because you have employees like uh, across multiple countries, maybe you need another, a cheaper UR provider let's say, or even other custom stuff. We, let's say someone is targeting specifically hybrid companies. We can also scrape that information and kind of play off of that. So really, depending on the client, we try to find like, you know, different ways to like personalize and the basic well, stuff, mm -hmm. even like, you know, you got mm -hmm. your funding, congrats. A lot of times it would be pretty much like around the person position and how can we help him make an impact in the company that he's at and make him look better in that mm -hmm. sense. So at the end of the day, we write new people and we try to convince people that it's just to, you know, change the company. Yeah. It's kind of, we have to go to the person which convince him to help the bigger picture in that sense. I think Ian makes a good point where even if it's not super personal, let's say new hires, post technology, post like all these signals. If you're targeting a certain job title and you really understand what they do to their day-to-day, -day, like are they using spreadsheets? Are they using WhatsApp to communicate? And you give them a solution that saves them time, money, makes them look better. You really describe that in three to five sentences. They're probably a lot more likely to react versus like, you know, you did some kind of like AI personalization. Even if it's like a mass email to like thousand uh, job titles because it's like you really understand them when you send this message and they feel that now a quick word from our sponsor the paris talks marketing show is affiliated with hop online a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies if you like the flow of this conversation you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at hop online a discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways we'll get to know your business goals competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, 
www.thinkdigital.online and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Well, let's, let's pull back out to the strategic level now. Let's talk about the interplay between outbound and inbound. A lot of times I tell prospects on the calls and then they tell me they're doing outbound. And I say that actually, if you do inbound, it can make your outbound work better. If you also have a successful outbound strategy that can, that can empower inbound. So one, one plus one equals three in a lot of cases. How can inbound benefit from outbound and vice versa? Yeah. I mean, we've even seen it ourselves, primarily a lot of the leads that have come through are like outbound. But we've seen the ones that end up converting or for you to convert a higher percentage, they need more touch points. And those touch points are not always in the form of calls. It could be like they might see an ad, like maybe you're retargeting them. They might see like your content on LinkedIn. Even we ourselves, like we started doing like uh, podcasts. We had you there, of course. We're planning on bringing like cold guests there to talk to them. So kind of like a mix between outbound and inbound. And at the end of the day, like outbound, it's much harder to convert. It takes longer. So when you're getting those people inside the funnel, percentage will convert now, but the ones that you want to nurture longer, it's good to keep them on, you know, through engaging for different types of content, so like ads, your website, maybe blog posts, maybe for like the podcasts and so on. So we're seeing that the way it's evolving, it's you need to have more inbound, just outbound won't do it, especially in a tougher mm-hmm period right now financially where companies don't just like snap by they need to like make more informed decisions yeah i guess a challenge is the dark funnel in b2b where especially with outbound where you send an email when we use custom dummy domains that person will, can check out the website but he will come to as direct traffic and we will know if it was like outbound so yeah this is gonna be yeah yeah redirects or just they later on they just see email okay let me just google these guys but then once they go into the website, that's where the inbound team can do their magic too, along with the outbound team, because that person will get retargeting messages, retargeting ads. They will also get emails. And even if it stops in two weeks, in two months where we do, we like to do also remarketing campaigns uh, in cold email. They will get another email. They, con- they will continue to get ads and it takes time, but it, we see that it does help you build uh, awareness too if it works well with inbound and especially with teams, it, it can prove very positive long-term. Yeah. It be a good lead machine. Wait, you just mentioned something interesting, remarketing. Does that mean that when, when somebody goes to the website, even though we would show up in analytics as a direct hit because they're, they're typing in or Google searching the dummy domain, and then that's going to eventually redirect them to the primary domain, which is a direct, will show up as a direct traffic. Are you able to remarket to that person after? Can you, can you find that? I mean, in terms of inbound or outbound? Well, when, when outbound triggers a search for the brand mm-hmm. or somebody simply types in the, the dummy domain and that would get gets redirected done. to the primary domain, that's yep. coming, that, that's basically a remarketing. That, that's like remarketing because somebody came to your website and you know it and then you want to remarket to them. Uh, but it's showing up as a direct source is direct in analytics. Yeah, we used to try, mm-hmm. but that's where we need to include links. Yeah. Which jeopardizes the email deliverability. And I, in there, some cases, prospect will actually use the dummy domains and they will show up as, I think analytics have sometimes shows up as referral traffic, where you can see another dummy. But what we've seen is that you don't, don't expect when you reach out to 5,000 people, you get 5,000 traffics or 5,000 website visits. Mm-hmm. 
what we've seen is that maybe for some clients where we get access to it, we've seen only 10% at most visit or actually will show up in the referral. So that's why we've seen that you need to do more volume or outbound to actually have a good retargeting audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this something like truth be told that we're still playing with ourselves. There's software where, first of all, you can get more of their personal emails, which you can use to target them more on ads because we you know, work with their business emails. We can't email personal. And there's also software that can identify visitors, which you, know, you could also yeah, potentially play around with. Let's say you see like the same company you message, they're visiting your website. Then it could be like, maybe you trigger like a retargeting event of that Have company. You? Have you guys tried lead feeder or something similar? Yeah, we, we use lead. I think it's lead info. Yeah, lead info is what we use. It's a similar tool. It, it uses an IP address lookup to identify the company that's visiting the site. It shows you all the pages they visited, time spent. But of course, you don't know who it is. But if that, if that also correlates or overlaps with a, a company that was on a recent outbound campaign, then very high chance that that's, that's what triggered the visit. And a lot of these are coming direct. So actually when I, I don't look at my reports too often, but I know that there has been an uptick and I think that is probably because of the outbound activity. I guess yeah. the danger of this is the rabbit hole over tracking individual companies and people get obsessed with yeah. it. I mean, when we used to be in the house of Alex, it was, it was very similar synergy inbound and outbound. And Alex was like, Hey, Ed, we got this email or we sent an email to this person. Can you check if they visited our website and I have to dig in through analytics individual sessions. Yeah, I was, I, I wanted to see that too, excitement, but yeah, we were able to find some, but most of the time it was tough to really pinpoint if they actually visited the website too. So yeah, this is going to be interesting how it's going to evolve and we would love to see a solution come over that. I think yeah. there's some guys that are trying to do it, but I forgot the name mm -hmm. of them. Hockey stack. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, hockey stack. They're, they're trying to yeah. identify the individual that visits. Yeah. They, they pretty much try to get every touch point from B2B, but not sure they can chat from cold email because these are new solutions that are coming through the market, especially for the B2B attribution. Yeah. yeah. Realistically, it's probably best to work with the people that respond positively, like at the very least, add them on LinkedIn, engage so that they can engage on the content there even if they don't convert. And then like try to capture like some demand like uh, from your website as well. Because you know that if they... Input their email, at least like, you know, they go into your hotspot or something and you can get them from there. And on the people that responded positively, maybe also target them via ads. And then once you like do it, I guess for a couple of months or a longer period of time, you'll have kind of like a warmer audience. Like there'll be that waterfall effect. Yeah. I have some thoughts here also about it in the overlap of inbound and outbound. And I think it has to do with audience building because in, we are... In about a year, hopefully, we're going to enter a post-third-party cookie world. And audience building is going to become more and more prevalent. And the use of first-party data, that we'll be using, using first-party data to create audiences. And the ad platforms are becoming more and more automated. So what really matters is not what you do in the platforms. It's what you can feed the platforms from the outside. And the first major input is audience, first-party data-driven audience data. That's where I see outbound. Uh, having a major uh, capability to assist inbound because typically well outbound SDR teams in an organization, they spend their time using tools like Zoom Info and Apollo and, and the others to build these massive 
outbound lists for outreach and they're getting companies and contacts. And that's a, that's a major asset basically because they're doing all that research to identify the, the ideal customer profiles, the ICPs, and then segmenting them in certain ways. Most companies that I talk to that are doing all that, that work with their SDR teams for outbound and building all those well-segmented lists, inbound doesn't touch that at all. So it's simply a matter of really taking that work that you've already done on the outbound side uh, with those segmented audiences and then moving that over to inbound and giving those audience lists to Google, to LinkedIn. These are all the invitations of these platforms basically begging us, give us your data, give us your audience data, and we'll, we, we can make magic happen. But so many companies aren't doing it. And that, to me, that's the biggest opportunity for inbound to benefit from the work of outbound. It's to take all that audience research and leverage it. Because these custom audiences will always outperform any of the off-the-shelf pre-selected audiences that, that are, that are pre-built into the platforms. If you go in LinkedIn and you say, I don't know, select computer software industry, that you might think that's SaaS. Nah, I mean, I'd rather go out and build my own SaaS list and bring it into LinkedIn. Um, so that's the future, I think. And I think that's going to happen more and more. And I think it's going to, it's going to hit like a shock wave when cookies go away because people are going to need to really to be doing this stuff. So, I, and, I, and I think about it in the other way too. I mean, what can inbound do for, for outbound? I mean, I think inbound is a, is a, is a testing ground too. You, you're testing, constantly testing ad copy, headlines, different content ideas. When something hits, I mean, if, if you write a really great, unique piece of content and you start getting ranked and get traffic for that, you know, maybe that's something that you should incorporate into your outbound sequences. Or there's a lot of other examples too. But I do see still that in larger organizations, including SaaS, there are so many silos. Outbound is a silo and, uh, and inbound is a, is a different silo. They're not sharing data. And then you've got the silo between marketing and sales, which is even bigger, I think. Yeah, I feel like it's like that team disconnect that we've always talked about with you as well. It's like marketing has one goal, sales has another goal. A lot of times it's like the outbound is matched by SDRs, which... A lot of times they're not also as technical. Sometimes, you know, they just like spiff in like templates that they have and they just kind of like run with that. Uh, and then marketing, you have different people. So it's kind of like, how do you, yeah, unify both, like you said, so that we can learn from each and play around with each. Like even mm -hmm. to be honest with us, a lot of times, you know, I don't want to talk bad about marketeers, but we've had more success with working with the sales team because they tend to be like, oh, you know, okay, do your thing. And it's easier for them to interact, seeing how the leads are progressing so that at least we know what to focus on versus, you know, like when we work with marketeers, a lot of times it's tougher because they don't know what's happening so much with the sales team, uh, which uh, is a the big issue for customers. us. Yeah, the actual yeah, customers. We, yeah, that's the cool about sales. Uh, we get like real feedback from the audience itself. And they tell us which ICP works or which pain points. And we get excited too, because that's where we see direct our efforts, not just MQLs or SQLs or that. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, where, where is it heading? I mean, how do you think, how do you see outbound looking even two or three years out from now, given the trends that are happening? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of like theories like one it could be that these email providers like we're already seeing where if it's a mass email like it can start getting marked as spam even if you have like perfect domain health so you for example have to like shuffle the wording that you're using in there so 
for you maybe like for you to get in the inbox you might need to start using more ai where you personalize the email a lot more but it's like mm -hmm. are you gonna run it through that chat gpt and we're also seeing that it's like with the ad platforms like there's more and more competition so it's getting tougher and tougher so you just need to be better and better at it like you need to personalize more you need to be more specific you need to write your emails better but in general we're still seeing the same trends like you know being targeted short and simple emails like three to five sentences one call to action one pain point and then also having that mix of not just like purely outbound really helps like having that also that social proof like when they go to your website when they check out your linkedin but we still think it's here to stay it's just like you just need to keep getting better at it you think at some point a few years down the road that almost all business communication will be written by AI. Every email, every ad that you see, every landing page copy or website. Do you think that's possible? That like, you know, 90% of what we read in business at work every day will be, will be generated by AI. I feel like we'll become more effective, but mm -hmm. I don't think you will fully replace everything. Because I feel like at that point, what are we going to do? Like we'll have yeah. robots writing the copy, robots reading the copy, and then... Yeah, robots like buying for us. I mean, end of the day, cold email is, is its conversational style. And we believe that robots cannot change the way that we talk. That me, let's say I talk to you, I talk to Alex, and the human touch will not be replaced. That's why people are scared that oh, we'll be replaced by AIs, that it will just make us lazier, but at least they better make us better communicators. Yeah, I think at some point it's going to reach, it's going to reach a point of uh, not saturation, but it won't be able to go too much further and there'll always be a need for a human assistant or human in the loop, as they say, to give it to give it a little sprinkle of personal touch. And even when that little sprinkle is missing, it will be noticed. Like how can AI re replicate Alex's humor? He uses a lot of puns and images. I'm not sure how can that be replaced. Yeah, not at least not today. Yeah, great. Well, guys, this has been great. What did I not ask you that you wish I would have asked? Or what, what else do you think could benefit our, our listeners? I would say maybe for email, like some of the things that we just always tell our audience is, you know, always make sure you have a good technical setup as well. So, you know, we talked a lot about like how they can run their emails, what they should be doing in terms of targeting, but always make sure you set up like your SPF, DKM, that's like making sure the emails are landing in the inbox. That's always the first step. And that's what makes people think your emails are legit as well. Because a lot of the people go into spam. So yeah, just always be aware of that technical setup and make sure that's set up properly before uh, you start sending out emails and you know do your email warm up as we call it. Mm -hmm. That's what raises your reputation. Make sure it doesn't go into spam. Kind of like raising your SEO. Another big thing: never use your own domain for sending out emails. Create other domains. Warm those up. Burn some of those. You can always replace them, but you can never change your main domain or it's very hard to get it back once it's burnt. Last thing is work together with the sales and inbound team. If all three teams work together, there's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of feedback on it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Lay the technical groundwork for success. Break down the silos between the other teams and um, let the information flow. Great. Well, guys, this has been really great. I think for our audience, especially as a topic that we rarely touch on, this is also, I think you all have revealed some secret sauce, which I really do appreciate. 
Outbound marketing is a very, very important tool in the toolbox. It's a, it's a major channel and it can work even better when, when your inbound is, is clicking as well. And you've given us a lot of great insight into that. So thank you for that. And we'll be talking to you all soon. Thanks for having us, Paris. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.